0: is CBS Eye on the World. Here's John Batchelor. Ukraine conflict, the war in Donbass, the war looking to advance or consolidate. I welcome Colonel Jeff McCauson, United States Army retired, CBS News, Dickinson College. He is the CEO of Diamond Six Leadership and Strategy. We turn to news in these last hours from the United States. The U.S. will provide four more high-mobility artillery rocket systems, or HIMARS, to Ukraine in a new security assistance package to be announced soon, bringing the total to 16, according to the Defense Secretary, General Austin, at the Pentagon for a virtual meeting with representatives from 50 countries supporting Ukraine's fight. Jeff, I come to you because this is the artillery war that we've identified these last weeks. The HIMARS seems to be a, a feature that is much in the news whenever they appear. What is it about a HIMARS that's different from a normal artillery piece? And if 16 are now being announced are going to be available, is that enough or do they need hundreds? Good evening to you. Good afternoon
1: to you, John, as well. And clearly the HIMARS is a very significant weapon platform because of its range and its accuracy. We're talking about a range of 80 kilometers for this particular weapon system. That is roughly three times or more the range of a 155 howitzer, for example. And the ability to concentrate massive fire with that multiple rocket system is also important. What it offers the Ukrainians, I think, is what I would, primarily would be what I would call counter-battery or counter-artillery effort. There's three ways to win an artillery war. One is to destroy the platforms, destroy the individual artillery pieces, the guns, rocket launchers, etc. That requires identifying their location. That's why counter-battery radar systems, provided the United States to Ukraine, have been very important. The Russians have similar systems of their own. To quickly identify where fire is coming from, then put fire back on them. The second way is to interrupt the system. It ties all that together the communications, the ability to pass target locations, and firing data from fire direction centers to platforms. That's electronic warfare or a cyber effort, and some of that is ongoing. The third way to win an artillery war is to starve it to death, and that's talking about how you interrupt the flow of ammunition. Because artillery ammo, as we used to say, only comes in one category, big, heavy, and ugly. And the Russians have made great use of their rail system into the Donbass region to move heavy equipment forward, resupply, and particularly ammunition like artillery. If you're firing 60,000 rounds of artillery a day, and there are some estimates the Russians have hit that number, you've got a massive logistical problem. Now, with the HIMARS, a range of 80 kilometers, what they can do is target that that railway network, and there are a number of reports of them targeting communications as well as uh, that ammunition storage, which therefore precludes it from making its way to the front and, therefore, an effort to starve that Russian artillery network. At the same time, they're trying to also destroy individual platforms along the way.
0: We've talked about but, this as an artillery contest. Is that what you're describing now, entirely artillery, exchanging over many miles?
1: An artillery war, but now an artillery and a missile war, because we've seen expanded use of longer-range missiles in large numbers against cities like Kharkiv and elsewhere which seem to be concentrated on breaking the willpower of the population. But so far, at least, we've offered the Ukrainians somewhat less than 20 HIMARS. They say if they're going to actually have any chance of success, and success defined for them, of course, is a counteroffensive that pushes the Russians not only out of the Donbass, pushes out of the areas of the Crimea, along the Sea of Azov, where they have uh, occupied then the Ukrainians have argued publicly they need 100 HIMARS. They need more tanks, more uh, armored personnel carriers to conduct a counteroffensive. And are we just giving them, in some quarters people are worried, we're only giving them enough enough weaponry to stave off defeat, but not giving them enough weaponry to do the counteroffensive to actually push the Russians out.
0: The comparable uh, war that I can find, Jeff, searching is the first war, the exchange of artillery across what appeared to be moving front lines back and forth. That came to no conclusion until one side or the other was out of out of people. Really, just at one point, the French ran out of people, then the British ran out of people, and then the Americans arrived and overwhelmed, along with the Canadians and the Australians, I believe, in a counterattack. The Germans who had run out of people, it just, does that connect with what we're witnessing now in, in, in Ukraine, that one side or the other is going to run out of people?
1: Absolutely. This is an attrition of people, material, and politics. The attrition of people is ongoing. The Russians, by the estimates of the British MOD, well, that's 75,000 casualties over a period of less than six months. That's roughly half of the entire invading force the Russians used to begin with. That's about 20% of the entirety of the Russian active army, for goodness sake. So their ability to create units is very suspect. And we see the Russians doing what? Now taxing some of the federal areas around the country and regions to produce battalions. Most of the areas that they're taxing for manpower are non-Russian ethnic groups, which may suggest some concern about social unrest across the country. And they're giving these guys, by some reports, 30 days of training before these battalions are put on on the front lines. In similar fashion, we know the Ukrainians are suffering, uh, by their own admission, 100 or 200 casualties a day. And the concern in many quarters is it's not only the quantity of manpower that's being lost, but it's also the quality. Are we losing most of the People who are the original active duty trained professionals in the Ukrainian army, and now manpower It's replacing them, not terribly unlike some of the Russian forces, and that, give, that is given scant training and sent to the front. So there's a manpower attrition. There's a political attrition as both sides try to expand their support worldwide. That's why Mr. Biden went to Saudi Arabia to try to get those countries to support isolation of Russia. That's why Mr. Putin followed that up with a trip to, to Iran. He just finished up, in which he got accolades and support from, from the Ayatollah. And then, last but not least, there's nutrition attrition of materiel. By some accounts, the Russians have expended somewhere in the neighborhood of two years of their tank production. The war is costing them somewhere in excess so far, by some estimates, $55 billion or more. including the Ukrainians, as well, have suffered a lot of material losses and that's why they're so insistent they need more and more military equipment uh, if in fact they're going to be successful in prosecuting this
0: war against the russians so a war of artillery a war of attrition the front lines are fluid but at the same line they haven't moved considerably in these last weeks does that describe a war that could continue into the winter continue into next spring continue indefinitely
1: yeah, I think this could go on for a significant period of time. You know, we always make that assumption wars are going to be short. No one thought we'd be in Afghanistan for 20 years. Russians didn't think they'd be there for 10. They were. Nobody thought we'd be in Iraq for eight. We were. So this could have devolved into a war of attrition. Don't forget, of course, that's what really was going on when we arrived. In 2014, you may would argue, if you're a Ukrainian, that the conflict in the Donbass began then that actually have been going on for the intervening eight years to the tune of 14,000 Ukrainians being killed even prior to the invasion on the 24th of February. Could we end up in that kind of an attrition war over time, a war in which there is fighting and there are lulls and there are more fighting? Absolutely. Because I certainly don't see the contours of any type of compromise existing on either side. Very emphatically, Mr. Medvedev, One of the leaders of the Russian Federation spoke out just the other day and said there will be peace, but the peace will totally be on Russian terms. And The Russians at the highest levels are using phrases like everything is fine, everything is on schedule. And Ukrainians have said, of course, this war will only end when Russians are pushed off all of the territory of the Ukraine. Well, again, it doesn't seem there's room for much compromise for negotiations.
0: And so the war will continue. That reminds again of the first war. Paris would not slow down, even though it was out of people, out of people. Berlin would not slow down, even though it was out of people, it, it constructed the hope that with Russia out of the war we can transfer all of those divisions and break the French line or break the, the French line consisted mostly of the, the colonials. There were people from all parts of the French empire in the front lines, when the Americans arrived, they were going back towards Paris and the Americans went forward. So we're looking at a war that describes endlessness. Jeff, the first war couldn't end until one side was broken. Is that what we're Im- imagining here? Only on, The only end is for defeat of one side or the other.
1: I, I fear so, John. And that's why this expanded missile firing over the last week or so suggests to me that another clear effort on the part of the Russians what they believe is destroy ukrainian willpower get the ukrainians to quit overall and therefore cede to them what russians want which is at least political control over ukraine if not outright uh, occupation as a consequence they're pursuing the same kind of military doctrine they did when they when they recaptured chechnya a very small province that had seceded back in the late 1990s which was basically to level the place and and break the willpower of the population. They're also trying to russify the territories, and there's an expectation that we may hear uh, Putin announce the formal annexation of those places they occupy, referendums which will be trumped up uh, to demonstrate that the population supports being part of Russia, changing street signs and changing zip codes to really make this part of Russia very quickly over the days and weeks ahead. And then finally, as this goes on, if it goes on for an extended period, as you and I both fear it might, you have further concerns about escalation. Might the Russians consider escalating horizontally by doing such things as inciting a conflict with Georgia or Moldova or perhaps in the Balkans? Or might they do a cyber attack, as some suggested they did against Lithuania? Might they go back to considering the use of nuclear weapons in further effort to intimidate uh, the ukrainians so not only are we had the concern i think about a war of attrition that goes on for an extended period of time but both sides perhaps seeking ways through escalation to break out of that type of a stalemate
0: colonel jeff McCauson, united states army retired cbs news dickinson college the he is the ceo of diamond six leadership and strategy we've spoken of the battlefield in Donbass. And the front lines. We're going to turn now to the front line of NATO. And the question is NATO ready for a long war? I'm John Batchelor.
2: It shall be noted, Joe got COVID. It's almost a rhyme. This morning, the White House revealed the Prez has COVID and is experiencing mild symptoms, including chills, sniffles, and not knowing who he is. <laughs> In other words, nothing's changed. <laughs> White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre said for now, he'll work in isolation, which should be easy considering that's how he spent his campaign. <laughs> Biden should recover from COVID, but with friends like these, his reelection plans are clearly DOA. President Biden held a controversial meeting with the <laughs> Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia. Biden said that wasn't a fist bump. That was me trying to punch him as hard as I could. <laughs> Maybe that's not a that's fist bump. Maybe it's 79. That's as hard as Joe can punch. <laughs> Throw them dukes up, Mohammed bin Jack Jackman. Stop asking him about the fist bump. Ask him about the looming recession. No, actually, just ask me about the fist bump. Meanwhile, I read that Dr. Fauci said that he plans to retire by the end of President Biden's term. Mm. Yeah, then everyone turned to Biden like, is there anything you'd like to announce, too? <laughs> So better late than never, guys, even though those jokes were as toothless as old Joe himself. And so his media enablers are fleeing like rats from the Titanic. And he should know he was on board that disaster, too. <laughs> Meanwhile, Thursday, officials unveiled the president's safer American plan, America plan, or SAP. And it's basically a massive refunding of the police. Yep, the party that was all about defunding now wants to spend $37 billion to, quote, support law enforcement and crime prevention. It's Biden's boldest move on crime since he paid for Hunter's whores. <laughs> the proposed plan would uh, would help hire and train an additional hundred thousand cops. Good. Invest three billion to clear court backlogs and another five billion in community violence intervention programs. Also included, AOC's provision for thousands of invisible handcuffs. <laughs> yes. Thanks. So the Dems, the Dems are now pretending to be pro-cop when they're just trying to repair what they destroyed when they were anti-cop. Or maybe they're just trying to help Cori Bush save money on private security. (laughs) But really, they're doing it to save their own asses. Imagine having to deal with someone who destroys things so they can fix them.
3: Hey, Danny, cool sunglasses. Can Can I see? Yeah, sure, Phil. Wow. You know these are, so broken? you ruined them. Hey, let's not play the blame game. You know, I can fix these if you like. You're the one that just broke them. You know, I'm all about results. Let me just see if I can't... Hey, there you go. You're welcome. I guess. <laughs>
2: that uh those two uh, pairs of sunglasses for the skit came out of our budget
4: mm. yeah. Yeah. like half our budget yeah it is half
2: <laughs> our budget um would you care to comment on this the breaking news of covid or the police uh yeah. lot of
4: choices i guess i know it's just all this uh, yeah.
2: I, well, I, I all right I, I, no okay. more multiple choices okay
4: <laughs> no because i actually what? I just, I can't get over like how we're talking about all this new stuff, like the whole oil cancer thing didn't happen yesterday. <laughs> yeah. I can't get over it.
2: Oh, yeah, no, the guy, when he said, like, he, he got- said,
4: I have cancer <laughs> yes. from oil on my mom's windshield 70 years ago. I know. Skin cancer too. Yeah. Not like- no, and they're like, no, he just meant like he had some like skin cancer. But I'm like, that's not even close to what he said.
3: Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
4: <laughs> like, Am, am I the only one that's still thinking about this?
2: No, and it, it's a, it's a, Maybe that's why they announced COVID. Yeah,
4: and then this, maybe it doesn't even happen. And then this article, I was looking it up, and people like wrote this article, like, here's why Joe Biden said he was affected by cancer. He did not say that. <laughs> he said, I have oil cancer. Yes.
2: <laughs> no.
4: and, like, it's just, to, to me, I think it's a really big sign of how crazy things have gotten. When I looked at Twitter for hours last night about the oil cancer, because some people, <laughs> a lot of people were like, wait, does he have cancer? Does he not? And some people were like, how crazy it is that the president's like, I have cancer. And we're like, what does it mean? <laughs> yes. And then other people were like, regardless of, you know, your political values, we have to agree that this cancer is a serious thing and thoughts and pra- prayers are by this oil cancer. I mean... <laughs> She because went with choose just, your own adventure. No, like, your- I, no because I just, I'm not willing to move on from the announcement of oil cancer <laughs> and then being gaslit by this administration that I
2: should not be having this type of reaction. Yeah, no, it's a fair point. And, and, and oil it's, fair, cancer. it's a fair point because if Trump had said anything uh, like that, could you imagine no. the interpretations? If I mean, the-
4: I said anything like yeah. that.
2: <laughs> that is true. That is true. You okay now, kiddo? If
4: I ever say I have cancer, it'll be because I do.
2: Yes. We hope that never happens. No.
4: It probably will. I know the stats. Oh, (laughs) jeez.
2: You really are a dark, dark human being. (laughs) Joe, uh, COVID, big—it's you know, big, fairly big news. How do you think it's going to affect his job?
0: I think at this point it can only improve his performance.
2: Oh,
1: okay, yes.
0: <laughs> I think he should turn himself over to the virus like one of those WAFTS that injects a parasite into a victim's so larva. Uh, I think that he's going to be a tough one to bring down. I mean, he, he beat the 1918 flu. That didn't stop him. <laughs> he, um, as Kat mentioned, he—he he kicked cancer in 24 hours. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> That's unheard of. And he's got the best people around him taking care of him. Kama left him a a nice hot bowl of bat soup, hoping he'd get better. (laughs) Radio studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show.
5: Uh, Russia has already lost strategically. In four months... Uh, Putin has caused for two new countries to apply to join NATO and two new countries, Ukraine and Moldova, have become candidate members of the European Union. As regards the military situation, Putin has lost the battle for Kiev. He's lost the battle for Kharkiv. He has made some incremental gains in Donbass at a huge cost to, to himself. And he's suffering a logistical collapse of his armies.
6: Well, that's Poland's former foreign minister i agree with his first point that if his strategy was to weaken nato that didn't work but the whole he's lost the battle for kiev and kharkiv i'm not sure that's that history has been written yet
7: i like the cut of this guy's jib. let's run one more uh, quote from him michael 41
5: uh, look he's having to go cup in hand to the iranians to buy iranian drones Come on! Russia was supposed to be <laughs> to, to have a first-class army, and now and uh, they can't uh, coordinate their actions at sea, in the air. They don't even have uh, air domination over Ukraine, and Ukraine is now successfully attacking uh, Russian uh, arms depots, their ammunition depots, their uh, command posts. Um, I think the Russians are capable, maybe, of one more push. Uh, And then I think they will have lost this war.
6: I sure hope the guy's right. And to a certain Mm. level, he might be uh, cheerleading, which is part of war. No doubt about it. Very big part of war. That's what leadership is. Um, And that's keeping the world rallied, thinking, yeah, we can win. So let's support our country sending money and arms and all that sort of stuff. Because the human nature, I feel it myself, is when it looks like Ukraine is losing, I just pay less attention. I think, ah, that's not a fun story. That's sad. Yeah, it's discouraging. It's you it's, know, it's I'm, tragic. I'm not proud of that element of human nature, but it is just the way it works. And and if and if he and others can convince people, no, 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 one big push and we could win this thing, eh, you could get the world, you know, back on your side, rallied, and again willing to continue to commit the money and the uh and and, and the armament because I don't know how many articles I've read and podcasts I've listened to about how quickly this could turn, where countries lose interest, where Germany decide, yeah, this just financially, the oil, nah, they're going to lose anyway, let's, you know, cut our losses. And, and
7: how it could turn in the United States, even. Right, right. The whole, the question of Vlad Putin as a strategist and a wily fox and the rest of it, you know, I think his reputation for being, Brutal and smart and calculating uh, was appropriate before his enormous misstep, probably in attacking Ukraine. Um, but that I wouldn't dismiss the guy entirely. He's still strategizing like crazy. And there are a bunch of side topics here. But I mean, first of all, uh, I'm, I'm just kind of reading various news stories to get a, a shape of of. His strategies, for instance, there's a new head of the Russian Space Federation who said we're absolutely going to par- partner with the U.S. Uh, going forward in uh, space flights like we always have. We're, we're looking forward to doing that. What? Um. So, you know, whether we're along for that, I'm not sure. We can't do that. He is gently and somewhat subtly, but unmistakably, messing with the Europeans too and their their energy needs. I don't know if you've been following the story, but Europe, uh, the European Union, is about to announce a new set of laws saying everybody's got to cut back by fifteen percent uh, this year, or we're going to have no heat in the winter time. We've got to stockpile our natural gas reserves. It's it's a full on emergency there. Uh, Let's play the uh, Brian Sullivan clip from uh, Morning Jose, clip number 42, Michael.
3: The reality is this. Tomorrow we are expected, hopefully, to get the Nord Stream pipeline from Russia to Germany back online. But I want to make it very clear, guys, that even if it comes back, even if they restart it, it's not if, it's how much. It's unlikely Mm -hmm. Russia's going to restart it to 100% flow. Now, if they go at 40%, which is where they were before... Germany's still in a race to fill up its natural gas by winter. Why do we care in America? We care because this is Putin playing games, playing sort of puppet master, if you will, with Germany.
6: One of the most awful, cynical decisions any country has ever made is Germany fully committing to Russian energy. Just Unbelievable, given those two nations' histories. But anyway, um, so we talked about this last week, how Russia decided to shut down the Nord Stream pipeline that gives Germany their energy for, for 10 days of maintenance. Mm-hmm. And there was some belief among well, people all around the world, that it would never be started back up again. Now there's talk that it will be started up at some capacity. Ian Bremmer said that the reason, I listened to him on a podcast over the weekend, the reason Russia's going with the ruse of, oh, we're shutting it down for maintenance, as opposed to just saying out loud what they're doing, you know, we're trying to punish you and squeeze you, Um, is they're hoping that, you know, people will tire of this war and the enthusiasm will go away and people will kind of recognize, okay, what are you going to do? I guess Russia gets a big chunk of Ukraine. Okay, uh, and and then 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 the you know regular business can start back up again. Russia doesn't want to end that opportunity.
7: Well, clearly, and to get back to the clip, uh, the reason I wanted to play it is it uh, what I was talking about before. Putin, the strategist, Putin sees that if he were to cut off Europe completely, they would be forced to develop other avenues, other sources, uh, other mechanisms for. Uh, their energy needs, and so like uh, like a drug dealer, like an abusive spouse or whatever, he is keeping Europe on the hook. But he's got a chain around their neck, and he's going to yank it subtly or hard going forward as he needs to, because he can see that they're already panic stricken over the whole having to cut back drastically on energy consumption. So it's smart. Just they were about to get another dealer, and he said, "No, no, no, no. I got the good stuff for you. Come on over." So, you know, that's Putin.
6: One thing that he does seem to be good at is thinking long term. Oh, yeah. And, and and going into this, you know, in the beginning, okay, everybody's going to get all excited for a while. All right, do your thing. Get all excited. You know, uh, uh, sing your songs on Saturday Night Live and wear your pins and do all your stuff. But I'm still going to be at this two years from now when you're not paying any attention to it at all.
7: Right. Yeah. Well said. Uh, one more clip. This is Brian Sullivan, uh, also on MSNBC. Uh, go ahead with 45.
3: Vladimir Putin has Germany on a string, guys, and he's kind of playing with that tap to see how much the West might give back. He's ticked off about Germany and Europe's and the West support for Ukraine with weapon systems and whatever. And so he's messing with that tap and putting literally lives at risk in Germany if there's not enough gas in the winter, you've got people that are at my ready high risk, at risk of freezing to death. This is not fear-mongering. This is not my words. Read the New York Times. Read the journal, the FT, the Economist. It's the story. It's happening in the next 24 to 48 hours.
7: So uh, there are a couple of other things swirling around the whole Russia-Ukraine deal. I, I read an interview... With a loyalist member of Putin's uh, administration, he's a think tank guy, but um, and he was pitching the Putin point of view that this was a preemptive war because the West was turning Ukraine into the point of a, this is a quote from my memory, a point of a spear pointing at Russia's heart, and that Putin had to act before Ukraine came together as the the uh, you know well, the point of the the spear. Um And indeed, the puter was in Iran for meetings with the unholy Ayatollah and the uh, President Erdogan of Turkey. And a couple of interesting things happened. Number one, the Ayatollah came out with a more powerful statement in support of Russia than even like your Belaruses have made. Here's what the, the Ayatollah said, quote, war is a violent and difficult endeavor, and the Islamic Republic is not at all happy that people are caught up in a war. But in the case of Ukraine, if you had not taken the helm, the other side would have done so and initiated a war. So that's full on the narrative. Had to do it to prevent NATO from attacking Russia like NATO was going to freaking attack Russia, please. second interesting thing was, and I'm not exactly sure how to read this, Putin was uh having a meeting with Erdogan at Turkey, our our frenemy Turkey, that uh, one of our beloved listeners pointed out. I think I have the email around here. Or something. There's a critical Air Force base in Turkey, U.S. Air Force base. And if it ever closed, we would be screwed. And so mm-hmm. that's the reason we keep up our frenemy relationship with Turkey. So they'll let us keep our base there. Didn't know that. Yeah, I, I wish I had it in front of me because it had all those What is the but, name
6: of that? I, 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 should, I should know that because it played a role in all kinds of Afghanistan, Iraq stuff. I remember.
7: I'll tell you what. Give me 30 seconds. I'll come up with it. But uh, so Putin and Erdogan are supposed to have a meeting. Everybody stands up for Erdogan to enter the meeting. Putin stands up. Erdogan keeps him waiting almost a full minute, fidgeting back and forth, shifting from foot to foot. Now, I doubt seriously that was an accident or Erdogan got a text from his wife and he had to answer because she was at the grocery store and wanted to know what they needed. No, that was a weird power play, I think, that Erdogan was saying to Russia, all right, you're depleted by war. Your military has been humiliated. Uh, Let's reassess who's the power here. Well, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. But that sure seemed like a, a flex to me. Wow. You wouldn't think
6: that sort of stuff would play a role on the world stage at this point, but it does.
7: Well, you know, and I've never been a guy who would do that. Um, but I know your, your would-be hard-ass uh, types in industry and government, whatever, they love power plays like that. Yeah. Like they they reach up your hand and grab you oh, practically yeah. around the watch mm-hmm. to shake your hand to make you feel weak or just grab your fingertips or, or who
6: walks through the doorway first or second or I've, I've never, you know, whatever, whatever you want to do. I don't care.
7: This has no exactly. effect on me. But <laughs> you remember Trump used to like shove his way to the front of yeah. photo ops and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, let's see. Here's the note from Peter. Uh, guys, there's a very simple reason the U.S. and NATO want a relationship with Turkey. It's called. In Sirlik, am I pronouncing that right? Air, air Base. This base is a strategic base for the U.S. and NATO, allows NATO planes to fly over Turkey, a necessary evil to reach certain countries. At times, Turkey refused all U.S. flyovers causing problems, thus having to deal with unsavory characters, something the U.S. has been very good at to the, the detriment of the rest of us. I think, are you an activist against this, sir, or what? But anyway, yeah, so that's why we're, we're dealing with Erdogan.
6: Webster's has changed their definition of woman in the dictionary, so we can all get up to speed on that. Come on! Among other things on the way. Stay
8: here.
1: Armstrong and Getty.
8: Hello and welcome to Newsday with Jeff A. Hearn. I'm your host, Jeff A. Hearn. Today's top story. If there is such a thing as foot and mouth disease, then Joe Biden and Kamala Harris must have gotten the version where it's their entire leg. With Biden, it's more of a staccato stupidity. Harris prefers a more robust word salad. So allow me to mash up their speeches and see if you can figure out who's who. My name's Joe Biden. I'm a Democrat candidate for the United States Senate. And we have put together I think the most extensive and inclusive voter fraud organization in the history of American politics. I think that to be honest with you I do believe that we should have rightly believed but we certainly believe that certain issues are just settled certain issues are just settled, like poor kids are just as bright and just as talented as white kids. Which is why if you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, then you ain't black, you lying dog-faced pony soldier. Come on, man. You need to get to the go and need to be able to get where you need to go to do the work and get home. So you go ahead and stack the spaghetti sauce at a store in a supermarket. You control the guy or the woman who runs the Or brings out the carts on a forklift? What happened? Anyway, Ukraine is a country in Europe. It exists next to another country called Russia. Russia is a bigger country. Russia is a powerful country. Russia decided to invade a smaller country called Ukraine. But we stand with you. Putin may circle Kyiv, but he will never win the hearts of the Iranian people. Which is why it's time for us to do what we have been doing. And that time is every day. And we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men and women were created by the, you know the, you know the thing, and America can be defined in one word. Ask the hava, End of quote. Repeat the line. America can be defined in one word. Ask the Hamanafatupai. Let's go, Brandon.